0: Well, good morning. Welcome to church today on Time Change Sunday. Uh, I, uh, I made the joke in, in first service that uh, I have a feeling that Pastor Chip, knowing that I was not a morning person, did this to me somewhat on purpose. Um, you know, he, he made me preach in the, the, the weird Christmas suit, and now he's making me go on Time Change Sunday when we lose an hour of sleep. So, uh, anybody uh, come this morning who was supposed to be at the 9 o'clock service? Okay, a few. Yeah? Good. We're glad you're here, regardless of what service you came to. Uh, if you are new with us so this morning, my name is Ken. I am the youth pastor. And because I am the youth pastor, I have one youth ministry announcement to make. Uh, if you are the parent of a BLAST participant, we well, are going to meet as soon as the service is over in the youth room. Uh, just to go over a few of the logistics uh, of BLAST with you. Uh, I don't have a schedule yet for you, but I do have some general times and uh, other information that you'll need to know for BLAST. that's coming up this Friday and Saturday. Uh, and uh, just as a, as a church, uh, this is something to be proud of, I have registered 56 people to go to BLAST, which is a, is a huge number. Yes, uh, a lot of our teens are going to go share their talents, their gifts, and their abilities. Uh, this weekend, uh, they moved BLAST to Bowling Green, so it's a little closer even, makes it even better. Uh, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll be doing that and uh, just be in, in prayer for us, for the, the adults, for the, the students, uh, everybody, uh, even, if you're, even if you don't have a student in your home, uh, it's always good to, uh, to, to pray for them. We're, we're very proud of our, our students. Um, this morning we are continuing uh, our, our Easter series. Pastor Chip introduced this to us last week and uh, it's called Passion His Journey, Our Hope. And uh, one of the things that, that Pastor Chip pointed out to us last week is the importance of passion. Um, you can have all of the skills and the abilities in the world, and, and you can be an expert in a field, but when you go into uh, a, an, a, an endeavor without passion, most often, regardless, it doesn't matter of how much, how much you know. Uh, it, it's about your passion for what you're doing. Uh, we see that a lot play out in business. We see it play out in sports, and, and I hesitated to put this in there. Well, not, not really, but I thought about it uh, to put this in here. But uh, on, on a Saturday in November, early November of this last year in Iowa City, there was a football game played, right? And uh, some of you already know where I'm going with this, and, um, but uh, there was a football game played between Iowa and Ohio State. And there is no person in, in Iowa City that would try to argue with you that Iowa had more talent, more skilled players, or ability than Ohio State. Yet somehow, Iowa beat Ohio State by 31 points. Yeah. And. And what you, when you listen to interviews from the coaches and the players afterwards, what did they say? Well, I heard it a lot, especially from the Ohio State side. Iowa came out ready to play. Iowa wanted it more than we did. If, if you watched the game, you just knew Ohio State just didn't look like their normal selves, right? They didn't have the passion that night to be out on the football field and, and win. And Iowa apparently did, and Iowa did win the game. Passion makes a very big difference. And Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. Did I say something? <laughs> yeah. Apparently, he found a big nut that was worth 31 points. <clears throat> uh, Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and he's, and he's coming in with passion. He's coming in for passion for human souls, for lost people, and he's coming in um, to, uh, to ultimately defeat sin and death, and and to set right what went wrong back in Genesis chapter 3. And it's that passion, it's that force that's driving him when he's riding on the donkey going into town. It's that passion that's, that's moving him forward. It's, it's that passion that when, he's, when he goes into the temple like we're going to read here this morning and, and, he, he, and he flips tables over and he's, and he's angry, it's that passion that's driving that. It's that passion that when he's sitting with his disciples and he's sharing a last meal with them, the, 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 the example of servanthood that he shows, the, the, uh, just the, the things that he shares with them in that moment. Passion's driving that, and when he goes to Golgotha, and, he, and he's on the cross, he's there with that passion. That passion took him there, and that passion is what uh, we, we celebrate when we, when we come to Easter because it led to forgiveness for you and for me, and so passion plays a huge part in what we're talking about, and it's why that week is so often called Passion Week, And last week, Pastor Chip shared with us that it was Jesus' passion for our confidence in Him. The people needed confidence. They were oppressed by a Roman government. And and they were even uh, uh, oppressed by their own religious leaders. And they needed hope. They needed something to look to. And Jesus comes, and He rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, and He gives them that confidence. And this morning, we're going to continue, and we're going to look at the fact that Jesus... Uh, also has passion for our own authenticity. This morning, we're going to talk about a subject that can somewhat feel uncomfortable to most of us. If we're really honest and we we say, yes, this could be me, uh, it makes us feel uncomfortable, we're going to talk about hypocrisy. And there was a group of people that when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and these are his last few public speaking days, and Jesus is going to spend the majority of that time Addressing people who are hypocrites. And he's gonna point out to them that they're missing the mark, they're missing uh, they, they are doing what they're doing without passion for souls. They're 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 leading people astray, they're they're putting, they're heaping heavy loads of things on them, and they're doing this at the expense not of other people, seemingly, but of themselves. And it makes Jesus angry. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross and to have compassion on the people that are nailing him to that cross. Yet he's about ready to go. Before then, he goes into a temple and he flips tables over in anger because of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is something that makes Jesus angry. and he wants to, he, he, It makes him so angry he's going to spend his last public speaking opportunities to talk about it. And to address it. And that's the part of the story that we're going to look at this morning. And, and this is not when you think of Passion Week and when you think of Holy Week and the events that play out. This is not necessarily part of the, the things that you think about, what we're going to, what we're going to go over today. Uh, most of the time when you think about uh, Passion and Holy Week, you think of his triumphal entry. And then you almost go right to the Last Supper on Thursday night and Jesus washing his disciples' feet and, and sharing communion together and then going to the garden and then being arrested and going on trial and going to the, to the cross and then the resurrection on Easter Sunday. But we don't often, we don't often take time and, and focus on the, the things that Jesus does on Monday afternoon, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And there's a lot of ground to cover, and we're going to attempt to do it this morning. Um, but this morning, we're, we're going we're gonna to focus on what happens when Jesus arrives at the temple. Now, uh, to, to kind of give you an illustration of, of what we're talking about today, uh, I want to just share quickly with you about one of my favorite movies. It's called Cinderella Man. Uh, and if you're aware of the movie Cinderella Man, you know what it's about. If you're not, I'm going to briefly just share with you uh, so you know, uh, you know what I'm talking about today. Cinderella Man is about a boxer named, named James J. Braddock. And he was a boxer back uh, just before and during the Great Depression. And uh, when you meet James J. Braddock in the very beginning of the movie, he is on his way up. Um, he, he's, he's fighting and he's winning a lot of fights. And um, uh, his, his last fight that he wins uh, before they, they go to the next part of the movie is in uh, the garden in New York. And, and, and uh, he's on top of the world. And then all of a sudden the movie shifts. And you see uh, a boxer that's much different than you saw in the very beginning. And come to find out that the Great Depression hit, and all of a sudden, James J. Braddock had to shorten the time between his fights because his family needed the money. And when he shortened that time, he wasn't allowed to heal properly. And all of a sudden, he started to fight hurt. And when boxers fight hurt, and they're not at their full strength, it puts them at a great disadvantage. And he starts to lose a lot of fights and finally, he's so far down the rung that he's fighting in some armory somewhere, and he goes to throw a punch, and he breaks his wrist, a wrist that was already hurt before he went into the fight. And when he did that, the boxing commission took his license from him. And all of a sudden, this fighter wasn't allowed to fight anymore. But his family still needed money, and he still needed a way to provide, so he would go he go down to the docks every day. Um, And and at the docks, there would be hundreds of guys just waiting for work, and they would select one, two, or three guys out, um, and you were never guaranteed a spot. And there were times where he would go down to work, and he would come home empty-handed. And it gets so bad to a point where they have to send their kids away because uh, one of them gets sick. They don't have enough money to pay for the electric bill. Uh, they, they didn't have enough money to pay the milkman, so they have no milk. Uh, they're running low on food, that, uh, which when I say food, it's just little pieces of bologna that they're frying in a frying pan on their wood stove. And they're, going, they're having to go out and, and break pieces of lumber off of, of road signs so they can burn it just for heat. And uh, this, is, this is how low... Things get for the Braddock family, and so uh, later on, uh, kind of when uh, winter starts to pass, you you see uh, his trainer come back, and and Joe Gould comes and he says, "Listen, I've got an opportunity for you. There's a fight coming up, and they want you to be in it. Now, this doesn't mean you get your license back. It's just one fight, but you're going to fight the top contender for the heavyweight championship of the world." And I pitched him that you were a man who's never been knocked out before. And what better way for him to, to get ready for the championship fight than for him to knock out somebody who's never been knocked out. And he said, and it comes with $250. And James J. Braddock was sold. And he, he, he uh, went ahead. He agreed to the fight. He gets there, and the guy he's fighting, his name's Corn Griffin. He's a big, big guy. James J. Braddock, for the first time in a very long time, fights healthy. And knocks him out in like two rounds. And it's very quick. And um, all of a sudden, this possibility comes back to to him. And I forgot to share that uh, there was one person who was really excited for him to lose his license. And that was his wife. His wife was scared to death that she was going to lose her husband in the ring. And so, uh, and she also, she kind of saw the corruption in boxing. She saw that, that guys go in and just pummel each other, and there's a lot of other guys that make a lot of money and, off of these guys just fighting and duking it out in the ring. And uh, so she was really happy to see her husband get hurt, but not to the point where he couldn't provide for his family anymore, but that he was out of the sport because it really it really bothered her and so um, she she even though her family's going through hardships she's happy that her husband isn't boxing well then all of a sudden this opportunity comes up he knocks the guy out he gets his license back and she comes home one day to find him not at work and he said well I, I've actually been paid to start training for my next fight and she finds out that it was his his trainer Joe Gould who provided the money for him to do so and in her mind, Joe Gould is one of those guys who's, who's making a lot of money off of her husband. While her family is poor and, and starving, he's one of the guys that's living in his high-rise apartment in downtown New York City. And so she is ready to go and let him have it. And so she, uh, she, takes, a, she takes a ferry to, to the city, and she, she goes to the high-rise apartment. She walks in past the doorman. She goes up the elevator. She walks down the hallway with really nice carpet and an elaborate wood trim on each one of the doors. And she goes and she knocks on the door and she starts yelling. She didn't even wait for him to come to the door. She starts yelling at him through the door that you're not going to do this to my husband again. You're not going to profit off of him. You're not going to sit here in your fancy apartment and in your fancy clothes and you're not going to put my family through all of this just so you can make money. And all of a sudden the door opens real quick and it's Joe. And Joe invites her inside. He said, you better come in. And when she walks in, she's prepared to keep going. But when she walks in, she stops. And she looks around. Yes, he's, he's in nice clothes, but the apartment's completely empty. She finds out they're not wealthy. She finds out they're actually just as poor as they are. And when he comes in, he says, can't let them see you down, right? Got to keep your hands up. Jesus came into Jerusalem and found a group of people, specifically a group of men, called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees looked wealthy. They looked like they had it all together. They were very pious. They wanted people to see them pray. They wanted to, people to see them fast. They wanted to see, uh, have people see how, uh, how, how, how uh, ritually cleansed, uh, cleansed they were. But Jesus showed up, and just like James Braddock's wife saw her trainer that day, Jesus steps inside the temple just to see how empty and how poor and broken they really are. They don't look like it on the outside, but they are on the inside. Jesus arrives at the temple, and, and, and to, to give you even more of an insight into what's going on, uh, I, I think I, I, we should set this up just so we understand what Jesus is walking into. This is Passover week, and so Jerusalem is packed and when I see this, uh, when I see this portrayed in some Jesus films and different things, uh, when Jesus goes into the temple, you usually see like people standing against this wall and this wall, and then over here you see one or two people at the at the tables that Jesus is getting ready to flip over, and, and there's room to move around, and it's really not all that busy. That is not how it was. When Jesus walked into the temple, the temple was um, was full of thousands of people, and Jerusalem itself was full of thousands upon thousands of people. So many pilgrims came to, uh, to Jerusalem over Passover week to offer sacrifices and to take the Passover meal inside the city limits that Jerusalem would actually have to expand its city limits out to encompass some of the small towns and communities that were around, including Bethany uh, that Pastor Chip shared with us last week where Jesus and his disciples were staying with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And so You've got, all of this, you've got all of these, these pilgrims in this place, and, and, and that's also why Jesus was surrounded by so many people when he was riding the donkey, in, it was because there are so many people just camped out along the side of the road. Jerusalem is full. And not only is Jerusalem full, but it's full of people who are really curious to see what Jesus is doing. So when Jesus goes to the temple, he doesn't just go with them by himself. He's walking into the temple with a lot of followers and a lot of people ready to see what he's going to do next. Uh, now, to some of them, some of them were a little frustrated because Jesus didn't automatically go to the, uh, go to the, Roman, um, the Roman fort that was right there uh, to, to take on the Roman garrison, or he didn't go to Pilate's house. He goes to the temple, and when he reaches the temple and he goes inside, he enters uh, the outermost courtyard of the temple, which is called the Court of Gentiles, all right? and that's where everybody literally could go. You didn't have to be Jewish. You didn't have to be. Um, you, you didn't have to be uh, like ritually clean or pure to be in that part. You could just go in there as, as you, whoever you were. And so the court of the Gentiles, and that's where everybody is. And and in it's in here, and it's kind of this would kind of be like the uh, what I kind of pictured the tunnel uh, underneath uh, the, the the stadiums. Uh, like football stadium where you go and there's concession stands and people are lined up and you're trying to walk and find where you can go out uh, and find your seat. That's kind of what I picture the court of the Gentiles like. Because there's a lot of things that were for sale in there. There, was, there were spices and different things that were for sale. There were also uh, tables and, uh, and, and areas full of animals that you could buy. And, and, and that's also uh, important because Jesus isn't just there with thousands and thousands of people. All those people are there to make sacrifices for their, for their sins, and so they're carrying with them animals. So for every person, or for every about ten people, you've got a sheep, you've got a goat, you've got something that they're bringing to offer as a sacrifice. You've got birds uh, chirping. You've got, I mean, it's got like the world's largest petting zoo is right here in the court of the Gentiles. And so Jesus is seeing this, and, and, and this is kind of how it works. When you, when you go into the temple with your family, and you're getting ready to make a sacrifice for your sins, um, you would have to bring with you an animal to sacrifice. And uh, if you uh, had money to afford it, it would be a lamb or goat or something of that, of that, of that range. But if you couldn't afford that, if you were poor, too poor to afford that, then you could uh, sacrifice a dove or a pigeon. And uh, the... Uh, the, the temple had to okay your sacrifice. They had to look at it and they had to decide. Okay, well, that's that's a pure enough sacrifice, or or this animal is completely completely healthy and able to be sacrificed. But if it wasn't, or if you came empty-handed, you had the uh, the ability to purchase for ten times what it was worth an animal from the temple, and. The, because the temple had the ability to say your, your, your animal that you brought with you was clean or unclean or, or wasn't, wasn't able to be a part of the sacrifice, they could tell you, okay, well, I'm sorry, that lamb that you brought in with you today, that doesn't work. You're going to have to buy one from us ten times for what it's actually worth. And people just had to do it because they were so used to following the religious leaders of the day and so used to just doing whatever they would say that they knew they had to, okay, well, uh, this lamb doesn't work. We tried. We'll go ahead and buy one from the temple. Um, and the, the, the people who couldn't afford those, that, like I said, they would have to buy the, the pigeons and the doves. Still, I mean, they're, they're buying them because they're poor, but they're still having to pay um, ten times what these things are worth. And the people that were coming in, a lot of them were foreigners. The temple only took their own currency. So if you didn't have temple currency, guess what? That means you had to exchange your money. And so there was a table where they had a, so a person that was taking and receiving this money and giving them back temple, uh, temple currency. But guess what? they would charge 25% of whatever they gave, or whatever they gave to be exchanged. Uh, the temple got 25% of that back. So the temple is sitting here making money hand over fist off of these people that are coming in just to receive forgiveness, just to, just to operate for another year with their family. Some of them have no money to do this. They save up all year long just so they can go to the temple and give it away. And so once they get their sacrifice that they know that the temple will accept, they move on to the next court, and that's the court of women. And in the court of women, uh, that's where people paid their offering. Um, And the temple would would, uh, charge a certain amount uh, for you to be cleansed, for you and your family to be cleansed. So you just spent ten times uh, what your animal was worth outside, and then you're moving in, you're going to pay, you're going to give the temple another offering in the court of women. And then from from there, women had to stay there in the court of women. They weren't allowed to go any further. Men took the sacrifice further into the next next court. Uh, And the next court, to get there, you had to walk through this humongous bronze door that was so heavy that it took 20 men to open. And you had to carry your sacrifice through there into the court of the Israelites, and in the court of the Israelites, the, the, the priests and the people in the temple, they would inspect everything, and they would make sure, okay, yep, yeah, no, this is, this is good. You know, we see you bought our animal. Thank you. Um, make your way this way. And they'd go through the next court to the court of the priests. And this is where the sacrifice would officially be made. And once you're in the court of priests, there's only two more courts in the whole temple. That's the holy place and the most holy place. Um, but your family is, is, is spread out throughout the temple. You've just paid all this money, and you've paid it to people who don't care about you, who don't care about how your family's doing. They don't care about the things that you're dealing with, the, the, your brokenness. They, all they see is you are a sinner, and you need to do this to become ritually pure and clean. And Jesus arrives at the temple, and he sees this, and it just makes him angry. angry. And you can, and we can, we can kind of see how, how this could make Jesus angry, how this could make Jesus upset, because Jesus came with this passion to go and to help people and to to heal their soul and to offer them forgiveness and not just temporary forgiveness, not just something they have to you know come back and do every year, but forgiveness for eternity. And Jesus walks in and he sees what these Pharisees, these people that are supposed to be here, that are supposed to be caring for the people, that are supposed to be showing the people the love of God. He walks in and he sees what sees what they're doing to the people. And he loses it and he flips tables over. And he drives people out. And somehow one man takes on all of the temple employees, flips over all their tables and sends them out. And not one of them fights back. And... Because Jesus has now cleaned out this area, all of a sudden, the people see what Jesus is doing, and they start to bring Jesus there, they're sick and they're lame and they're blind and they're broken, and Jesus heals them in the spot where just moments ago, the temple the, the temple employees were, were um, making money off of poor people. Evil was happening, and Jesus comes in and drives it out, and all of a sudden people are being healed. And the Pharisees all this while are looking on and watching what Jesus is, watching what Jesus is doing, and uh, the, it tells us that they become indignant and they become indignant when one of, the, one of the children that's in the room shouts out what the people were shouting out in the street, "Hosanna." Hosanna." what Chip shared with us last week. There's a savior that's here. There's a savior that's among us. The, the, the Pharisees become indignant, because guess what? that Savior, that didn't come through them. They didn't okay that. He didn't pay, he didn't, he didn't go in and offer all the sacrifices and go through all the things and, and, and buy their animals and do all this. He didn't do all that. But yet all the crowds and the people love Jesus for what he's done. And Jesus, he turns to the, he turns to the Pharisees and he says, it is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of prayer. Of robbers. The Pharisees could care less about the miracles that were being performed, and by the people who were receiving sight and the ability to walk again, they were furious that Jesus Christ was putting himself on display, and they couldn't touch him. And their hypocrisy was on full display in that moment. Jesus is caring for people, their body and their soul, in one moment And all the Pharisees could see was how this went against their system. The Pharisees, as a group of people, uh, started back around the time of Nehemiah. When Nehemiah came back to help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem after after the exile and after people had come back, um, as as Pastor Chip shared with us, it was kind of left in disrepair. And so Nehemiah asked for permission, and he comes back, and he helps them rebuild the walls, and they find a book of the law. And they pull it out and, and they start reading it. And, and there are people that then take that and they start reading and they start studying exactly all of the different rituals and all the different things that, that God asks His people to do. But they miss the mark. They, they take God completely out of it. They take compassion completely out of it. They take the, the, uh, the, the passion of God completely out of it and they just make it about their rituals and they just make it about, uh, ultimately, about themselves. And this group of people become the Pharisees. And those are the group of people that Jesus is, is approaching. And it's the people that were put in charge of the souls of God's people. And they were hypocrites. And this morning to you and I, that can, that can feel a little bit uncomfortable. Because, well, there are things in our lives that could be considered hypocritical. There are moments in our lives where we've, we've masked over some things. We've made things appear to be all right. We posted our devotional on social media, but we spent longer on the post than we actually did our devotional. There are times where we make our life seem perfect when it's not. And for whatever reason... We're followers of Jesus, and, and we know that Jesus has this passion for our soul, and we know that, uh, that Jesus offers grace and forgiveness, but we keep things hidden in the darkness. And Jesus is coming over and coming into our, our place, and he wants to flip, o- flip over our tables. He wants to make everything that's hidden come to light. And why does he do that? Because then, then he can off- offer grace and forgiveness. It's there that we can find hope and healing. And the Pharisees aren't there yet. And they're not willing to admit that they were wrong. And so Jesus takes, even after this time in the temple, Jesus takes these next few days, his last days to speak in public, and he rails against hypocrisy. And specifically the people that are, that are in the Israelites' lives that are supposed to be showing them how to live for God, and instead they're showing them exactly how to live for themselves. How to be perfect. How to be clean. How to follow the letter of the law. And instead missing the heart of God. And for you and for me, may we not miss the heart of God. May we not miss. Um, Allowing, allowing other people to see God work in us and to, to take those, those areas where we fall short, those areas that we struggle, and, and, and letting other people see God heal that stuff in you and in me. Um, I like how Craig Rochelle explains this. Uh, Craig Rochelle is a pastor at Life Church, and, and he says this hypocrisy is a sin, uh, but it should not be interchangeable with sin. So our, our, our culture and our world around us, um, one of their, you, you hear it, one of the main um, indictments of Christians and of the church is that we're just a bunch of hypocrites. And he said he wants to make sure that we don't just interchange sin and being a hypocrite uh, together. He says there's a difference. The definition of, to him, the definition of sin is a gap between what we should do and what we actually do, we should um, we we should not get angry, but yet we do. We should uh, spend time each day with God in prayer and reading his word, but sometimes we we fail right those Those are the things that he talks about as being sin, however, he says. Uh, hypocrisy is actually the gap between what we show and how we live. And there's a difference between the two. The Pharisees have a hypocrisy problem. And uh, this is not the first time here in the temple and these, over the course of, the, of these next few days, these, this is not the first time Jesus has called out the Pharisees for their own hypocrisy. And uh, way back in the beginning of Matthew, in chapters 5 through 7, Jesus gives a Sermon on the Mount. And when he's giving this sermon, he he uh, takes time in the middle of it, and he tells the people to be careful not to do what the hypocrites do. They shouldn't give to the needy and announce it with trumpets. They shouldn't pray standing up in the synagogues or on the street corners just to be seen. They shouldn't disfigure their faces to show that they are fasting. Hypocrisy makes Jesus angry. And uh, there's, there's a story that, that then comes right after Jesus being in the temple. They go home to Bethany that night, uh, and then they're coming back to Jerusalem. And uh, when they're coming back to Jerusalem, uh, for whatever reason, Jesus is hungry. And uh, he sees on the side of the road a fig tree. And I'm going to be honest with you, I, I've heard this story before, and it really has never really made sense, like, why they put it in there, until I read this in its full context. And Uh, with what we're talking about, with his anger towards hypocrisy and his anger towards the Pharisees, he sees a tree that looks like it should have food on it. Even though Jesus knows that they're not quite in season yet, and so there's most likely not food on it, but it looks like it should have fruit. And he goes over to the tree to find it fruitless. And so what does Jesus do? Seeing the fig tree by the road, he went up to it, But found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Uh, Immediately the tree withered. And it goes on to say that the the disciples were amazed. And I I think that's funny. They've seen Jesus raise somebody from the dead, walk on water. But the thing they're really amazed at is Jesus cursing a tree and it shriveling up and dying on the side of the road. Uh, But but this is just a, a, a larger illustration of Jesus being just frustrated by showing one thing and by actually living another. Hypocrisy angers Jesus. Uh, the word uh, that we actually get that means uh, hypocrite comes from a Greek word called hypocrates, And that simply means an actor or one who wears a mask. And uh, it, 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 it Came, the word came or, or originated in these Greek playhouses that they would have back in, in Jesus' day. And, and they would often be uh, parts where actors didn't say word, didn't speak, but there was just music, and they kind of played it all out on stage. But then they would wear a mask to show the audience what they were feeling or what they were doing. And so there would be, you know, uh, uh, an angry mask, and then there would be a sad mask, and there would be a happy mask, and uh, a, a number of others. But, but the actors would put them up to hide their real face, and to show the audience how they were supposed to be feeling. And this is the word that Jesus use, uses and indicts the Pharisees with. Walking around, holding up that mask, and, and uh, keeping the rest of the world from seeing what's truly going on. In Matthew 23, which is what we're going to look at uh, here this morning uh, as kind of our, our main main text, I'm just going to read this to you. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and tassels on their garments long. They love the places of honor and banquets and most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted with respect in the markets and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah, the greatest among you, Will be a servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus goes on from here to to really hammer the the, um, the Pharisees with what he calls the seven woes, and um, here he, he he reveals not only the indictment but he also reveals the solution. And I think it's important for us to see. I'm just going to read you uh, two of those this morning. The first one is found in verse 27. "Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you are full of bones and the dead of every, and bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way on the outside, you appear to, to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and, and uh, wickedness. And I'm going to jump, jump backwards. Because here we find the solution in verse 25 and 20, verses 25 and 26. Woe to you, teachers of the law, and Pharisees! You hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside. But on the inside, they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees! First, clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. The Pharisees were so concerned about being perfect, and we can fall into that trap sometimes. Where we think the the way to fix our problems is just to perfect them. The way to, uh, you know, I I I portray this, but you know, I really I really I'm, I portray that I'm that I'm a student of the Word, but I rarely pick it up and read it. So what do I do? I need to do well. I just need to become perfect. I need to read my Bible every day. I need to do this, and we just we kind of take it upon ourselves to fix our own problems. And that's what the Pharisees taught people. If you come and, you, and you, you do these rituals the right way, then, uh, then you'll be clean and you'll be exactly the way that God wants you. And Jesus tells us that no. To, to clean the outside, what do you have to do first? You have to clean the inside. And that's really hard for some of us to do. Because man, the moment that we let people know that we're struggling, then we just feel like, oh, they're going to they're going to they're gonna judge me. I, I can't come out and say that I'm struggling with this because, man, if I let everybody know that I'm struggling with this, people won't ever look at me the same again. But Jesus tells us, guess what? If you clean the inside of that dish, then the outside, the part that you're really worried about, then that becomes clean as well. The enemy loves it when we're so afraid to take care of the inside that all we do is focus on the outside. And for whatever reason, here at church, like I said a little bit earlier, here at church, that's more prevalent, it seems like, than other places. We don't want the people around us to see that we're struggling. We don't want them to see that we're hurting. But guess what? This is what we learn from this story. Jesus has zero tolerance for hypocrisy, but he has unlimited grace and mercy for sinners in need of forgiveness. When you're a hypocrite, <clears throat> it's hard for Jesus to help you. It's not that He can't, and it's not that He won't. It's hard for Jesus to help you because you don't see anything wrong with yourself. It's kind of, <clears throat> it's kind of like the passage uh, where, where um, Jesus shares that you know you're so concerned about uh, you're, you you miss the the you're so concerned about the speck in your neighbor's eye that you miss the plank in your own eye. And it's the same kind of thing here. Jesus wants to give all of us grace and forgiveness, and Jesus went to the cross just as much for the Pharisees as he did for anybody else. But the problem is, the Pharisees didn't need didn't because of their hypocrisy. Didn't see that they needed saving. They were more concerned that Jesus didn't go through all the proper uh, cleansing rituals and forgiveness in the temple. And may we not become. Like those Pharisees, we live in a world that watches us and that is concerned um, mostly about themselves. But they 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 just want they just they're ready to label us as, as hypocrites. And sometimes we fit the bill, and sometimes that's exactly who we are. And Jesus has zero tolerance for that. Jesus gets, that's what makes Jesus angry and wants to go and flip tables over and get mad. Not, not that you're sinning, but that you're being hypocritical in the midst of it. Wednesday, the Tuesday and Wednesday of the Passion Week shows us that Jesus has a passion for our authenticity. He can do way more with an honest sinner than he can with a lying Christian. And that's what we learn from Tuesday and Wednesday. But the good news is he wants to clean us from the inside out. We don't have to, we don't have, to have this facade on that says we're all perfect. Jesus actually allows us to admit that we're imperfect. And then he helps, then he, then he helps us to, to perfect those imperfections. And when we do that, through his help, the outside, the part that we're so concerned with, becomes clean again. What tables in your life does Jesus need to flip over? What are you so concerned with that you want to keep it hidden? What are you so concerned with that you're afraid to let everybody else around you see what it is that you're struggling? What are you not allowing God to help you with? What masks need to be taken off? Jesus has zero tolerance for hypocrisy. He has unlimited grace for sinners in need of forgiveness. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this message and just the the intent focus on this week of your life that we're taking as a church. Dear God, this this morning I just pray that you would uh, help each one of us to see inside of ourselves, to maybe become aware of things we've lost sight of about ourselves, things that we're keeping hidden, things that... uh, we portray as perfect on the outside, but really are empty and crumbling on the inside. And dear God, if there's any part of us that resembles the Pharisees that you um, so passionately went after over these two days of this week, dear God, I pray that you would help us to see that. I pray that you would help us to realize that, that we we wouldn't just become so concerned about ourselves and how good we look that we would let you come inside of us and work with the ugliness and and help to to remedy that and to fix that with your grace and your mercy. And your God, may may we all continue on this journey towards the empty tomb as we celebrate a God who came for each and every one of us, who died for each and every one of us, and who came back to life and who sits at the right hand of God and and argues on our behalf. God, forgive us when we we fall short and we miss that. God, we thank you for who you are. It's your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. You are dismissed.